Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Have you, have you ever had that experience where you think uh, you think you know exactly how something's going to go and, uh, and it actually ends up going the opposite, right? It's not going the way that you thought it was going to go. Um, <laughs> there's something similar that's happening in Scripture, and, uh, and when, we, uh, when we see it, how we respond to it is, uh, is actually really important because it can, it can actually completely change our lives. Um, I don't know if you've if you've been with us over the past few weeks. We have been uh, we've been journeying together through this series. We're calling it Mago Day. We're talking about relationships and uh, and how relationship with God uh, affects our relationships with others. How what what relationships are, what they were created for, and. Uh, <clears throat> If you were here last week, Fritz started to unpack uh, a, a story that Jesus was telling in, uh, in Luke chapter 15. And, and he was telling about a story about a son who, uh, who went to his father and said, I want my inheritance from you. Uh, I want my inheritance from you. Uh, and and he, so basically he's saying to the father, I'd rather, I'd rather you were dead and I had your money, right? And so he, he leaves home with all of this and he, he squanders all of his father's wealth on sin, uh, on, on wild living, basically complete self-leadership. And so when he finds himself, uh, he ultimately fi- he hits rock bottom and he finds himself in this really lost and broken state. And, uh, and so what does he do? He sets out to repent and he's going to go home and he's going to beg his father's forgiveness and he's going to try and hire on to work for him. So, so what happens? What happens is the father sees him coming from a long ways off and, uh, and he runs to him, he embraces him, and he, and he kisses him before he can even ask for forgiveness. Uh, the father gave him what he didn't deserve. Uh, he gave him more than just forgiveness. He, he gave him blessing. He gave him honor. He gave him celebration. Uh, scripture actually says, he said, let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And they began to celebrate. I, I actually love how the New Living Translation says it. It says, it says it like this, so the party began, right? And so isn't that awesome? That is exactly what happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's something to actually celebrate about. You know, we're, we're entering into new life. So we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but I, I, first I want to welcome you. My name is Matt Smith. I'm, I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, uh, I want to welcome you, whether you're, whether you're watching online or you're in Bluffton, or we've got people all around the country that are actually engaging with us online, and I think that's, I think that's incredible. Uh, and and I'm, I'm just grateful for every one of you that's here this morning, and, uh, and I hope that God will uh, um, reveal himself to us through his word today. Um, so <clears throat> that parable is really familiar to most people. Like no matter what your background is, uh, you know, what your, what, your, uh, what your background is in church or, or religion or faith or anything, uh, most people know that as like, what, what's the name? Of, what do people call that parable? Yeah, the parable of the prodigal son, right? And so we all know it like that. And actually, most Bibles even label it that way. But I think it's important to understand that that is not what Jesus called this story. You know, he even starts out the story. He begins the story. He says, a man had two sons, right? So this is a parable of two sons. And so uh, there's another son, and, and that's where this parable continues. Where we left off last week, where we left off was this 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 
great good news about God's grace. Uh, but where we left off, it actually continues, and it says, uh, so I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you, and, you never, and never once did I refuse to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. I don't know if you're anything like me, but there's part of me that, that actually wants to identify with this older brother. You know, I mean, the older brother, he's outraged. He is like, this is completely unfair. Uh, this, this younger son has, has wronged his family. He's wronged his father. He's, uh, he's, he's brought financial hardship and shame on his family. And he's left them to deal with the aftermath of his selfish decisions, right? So the older brother feels uh, cheated. He feels jilted. He feels wronged. Uh, he, is, he is completely... Uh, he's enraged by this. So I don't know if you can identify with these feelings or not. Uh, and maybe, maybe you're feeling confused by this or, or even offended for this older brother. Uh, if, that's, if you feel like that, good. Hang on to that because we're actually going to come back here to get some resolution in a minute. But, but before we do, it's important to look at why Jesus was telling this story in the first place. So uh, this parable was actually told in response to a statement that the Pharisees made concerning Jesus. You know, the, the Pharisees made the statement, and, and the Pharisees had a real issue. They had major problems with Jesus. They were, uh, everything about him offended them. In fact, they would often ask him questions. They would question him with the intent to trip him up, and, and so and somehow maybe they could discredit him or they could get people to stop following him and actually stop listening to him. So one of these questions is, is found right here in Matthew 22. Uh, so here's what the Pharisees did. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had sidelined the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments uh, depend all the law and the prophets. Basically, all of Scripture to that point. Um, so Jesus answers their questions by quoting Scripture. He quotes God's Word. <clears throat> what he actually quotes here is Deuteronomy 6, you know, specifically verse 5. But let's, you know, let's look at that real close for just a second. Um, uh, Deuteronomy 6 says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. 
Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It seems clear that God wants his people to remember his commands. He doesn't want them to forget his commands. He wants them to think about them. He wants them to know them. He wants them to meditate on them, right? So Jesus has led the Pharisees. They asked him a question. He's led the Pharisee to a scripture that places great emphasis on the law. I don't know about you, I find this really ironic because the Pharisees were the ones who were, uh, men. they were all about the law. They actually were the ones who were about obeying every single letter of the law. And to give some context here, Moses, uh, in Deuteronomy 6, Moses is talking to the people of Israel about the law that God's just given them. We know them as the Ten Commandments, right? And so he's given given his people his law, and, and when Jesus quoted this verse, the Pharisees would have known exactly what the law said, right? There would have been no question what Jesus was talking about. Um, They knew more about it than anyone else, but there's a big difference between knowing about something and actually knowing something. Um, The law is about the character and the heart of God. So even in the Ten Commandments, God reveals his own character and he reveals uh, his heart and how to have relationship with him. God gave his people his law so that they would know how to have relationship with him and how they would ha- how to have relationship with other people. He actually initiated that relationship. He created it and he created uh, he created us for it. He created us for relationship with him and he created us for relationship with one another. So when you look at Deuteronomy uh, 6, maybe even in verse 6, in verse 6 he says this. He says, uh, put these things in your heart, meditate on this with each other, uh, and do it in relationship. Do it in community, right? Teach it, talk about it, identify with it, uh, identify by it, do it together all the time, uh, everywhere, all the time. So what he's saying is let it consume you. He's, what, he wants, what he actually wants his people to do is to know him. Do this so you will know me. In fact, so Jesus, the last words recorded uh, in the book of Matthew that Jesus says are, are actually this. In Matthew 28, uh, Jesus, it says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So he says, make disciples and teach them to obey. He's essentially saying the exact same thing that he pointed the Pharisees to in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, So when Jesus answered this question about the greatest commandment, it's possible that when the Pharisees heard this, they might have felt even a little justified. That They're like, oh, hey, um, you know, nobody, nobody knows the law better than us. Nobody obeys the law. Nobody, because we've kept the law better than anyone else. Uh, they knew it better than anyone. They knew everything about it. They kept it to the letter and then some, right? And, uh, <laughs> but they didn't really know the one who wrote it. So Jesus talks about the law in Matthew 5, and he, he shows that, that the law reveals God's heart, but it's for our heart. It's for the heart of man. He was clearly concerned about the heart when he said, uh, when he said, you have heard it said, do not murder. 
But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Uh, you've, heard, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in their heart has already committed adultery with them. Uh, you've heard it said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So when they asked him about the greatest command, he points to the heart of God, right? He points to his own heart and he says the law is all about how to love him and how to love others, right? This is how to have relationship with God. So Deuteronomy 6, Matthew 28, they echo the same thing meditate on the commands of God. So God points us to his law as the primary command. Go look at it, memorize it, know it, live it. Uh, to know his heart and obey his commands so that we can have relationship with him. And he invites, that to do, he invites us to do that with each other. So uh, I find it curious. I find it really uh, interesting, maybe to the point of confusing sometimes, where he, it says he, he points, so he's really pointing us to something that no one has actually lived up to. No one actually lives up to this. I mean, more, the more you read it, the more you think about it, the more you meditate on it, the more you realize that you can't do it. You realize that you failed. Jesus even says in Matthew 5, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So what hope is there for me? You know, he actually wants me to see my lost condition. Now, all of Scripture points to Christ. All of it points to Jesus. So it's no surprise that he would ultimately want me to see my need for him, right? So here's what I mean. Uh, the, there's no meditation on God's law. There's no reading or understanding of Jesus' commands that doesn't ultimately lead you to the foot of the cross. The, the, fact, the fact that I can't fulfill the commands of God, the fact that I can't do the things that make relationship with God possible, those facts are the facts that show me I need a Savior. Right? So it starts to make sense why God was pointing them here. You know, so why did Jesus answer the Pharisees with Deuteronomy 6? Because while they knew about the law, they didn't know the heart of God. Because knowing the heart of God always leads you to loving others. And, and really loving others actually leads you to help them know the heart of God. So for the Pharisees, that isn't what law-keeping was about. Uh, it wasn't about loving others. It wasn't about gaining. It, it, it was, instead, it was about gaining favor. It was about being righteous because of their good works, it, because of their law keeping. It was about being good so that God would approve of them. So why did they hate Jesus so much? I mean, that's the question we have to ask. Why did they hate Jesus? Why did they react to the teaching of Jesus when other people were running to it? They were flocking to it. Well, let's, let's go back to Luke 15 to get the, some of the answers to that. Um, but first, you're going to have to break some of the assumptions that you might have about Pharisees. I had these, and so like, this was really helpful for me, studying this out to know who these people were. I mean, like, what did they think? Why did they think the way they did? Why is this conversation even happening? 
so when Rome, let's, uh, I guess first, let me tell you this. Uh, you have to understand that the, that the, the Pharisees were not villains and, and they weren't extremists. Right? They, they were not bad people, and they were not, they were not on the extreme end of things. Um, so when Rome took over Israel, um, the, the Jewish people broke into parties over how they were going to respond uh, to foreign oppression. Right? And so when this happened, uh, like one of these parties, so here's a few of these parties. One, one of them was called the Essenes. They actually left. They checked out. They were like, we're going to separate ourselves completely from society, and we're going to go out in the desert, and we're going to try and follow God out there. They, they removed themselves from, from society altogether. right? And then the zealots, they, the zealots were politically radical. They, they wanted to overthrow Rome. Uh, they wanted to kick them out. Uh, some of them were terrorists, uh, but all of them were, were politically active, right? And so then, then you have the Sadducees, and it was mentioned even earlier in the scripture. Uh, you know, the Sadducees, what they did is they actually cozied up to Rome. They're like, they're like they want to be there, you know, like, okay, we're going to get on the inside. These, were, uh, these people were the educated elite. They, they controlled all the cultural things in, in Israel at that time. And, and what they did is they actually, to do that, they had to secularize and liberalize their religion. So uh, they, they threw out anything that was supernatural. Um, they, they threw out the idea of miracles. They threw out the idea of resurrection. They actually uh, they ignored most of the details of the law and only believed in a, in a general sense. So that was the Sadducees. And then you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees, uh, this is what, what, what commentators have actually called, they called them the, the popular party of the middle class, right? Uh, they were very conservative, unlike the Sadducees. <clears throat> they believed in obeying every detail of the whole Bible. Uh, they were against the political extremism of the Zealots, right? And, and they, were, they were actually the good uh, moral middle of the population, these were, these were the hardworking, moral middle class. These were, they were the good people, right? They were, it might be easy to identify, it might actually be easy to identify these groups within our culture today. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but uh, it might be easy. And we look around, we think about that stuff. But it's important to see for context that Jesus was telling this parable because the Pharisees were complaining about something. They had made a complaint. They said, uh, Jesus is associating with sinners, with, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with outcasts. And, and he's, not even, he's not just doing that. He's eating with them, right? That was a really intimate thing. These, these were the people that were on the, on the fringe of society. He was, the, he was eating with them and associating with them. That was the Pharisees' complaint. So uh, the parables in this chapter are a response. The whole chapter of Luke 15 is a response to that complaint. So when they hear, uh, they, when they hear this story about the younger son, uh, they are not sentimental over the father's forgiveness of the younger son. They don't see this as some moral story about being more forgiving. Uh, they, they were more likely, more likely they were astounded and maybe outraged when they heard this story simply because it doesn't end with the younger son. It doesn't end with him returning home and being forgiven, right? So the question they were really asking Jesus with this complaint is they were, they were really asking Jesus, why is it Why is it all the moral and religious people are offended by your teaching and uh, the sinners and the outcasts are flocking to it? That's what they were really asking. See, they didn't see this story as a story of grace and forgiveness for those in need of a Savior, 
they didn't see this as an assurance that no matter how broken and messed up your life is, <laughs> that God will receive you with open arms when you turn to him. I mean, now that's absolutely true. And it's absolutely true in this parable. But that wasn't the main point of this story. You know, what really got under the, the skin of the Pharisees was the conversation between the father and the older brother. You see, what Jesus does to, to the Pharisees is he actually, he's actually blowing up their entire worldview with this conversation. <clears throat> In this story, the father clearly represents God. And he's inviting both the older and the younger sons into relationship and celebration with him. But only one of those sons actually enters into that relationship and that celebration. See, if you look at verse 28, um, <clears throat> the, older brother, the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. He's angry. He's outraged. From his perspective, this is completely and totally wrong, and his father should not even consider forgiving his brother. <clears throat> Jesus isn't telling this story to sinners. Uh, he's not telling it to the outcasts. He's not, he's not telling it uh, to, the, to the prodigals, the ones with the broken, messed up lives. There is no doubt that they are hearing it. Second, they're, they're, they're also hearing this, and it's speaking to them. But Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees. He's telling it to the good people, the moral, upright, hardworking, good people. So when he gets to the, to the, to the end of this story, which is the conversation between the, brother and the, the older brother and the father, it's like he's holding up a mirror in front of the Pharisees showing them who they are. You can imagine why they're, why they're upset. So in this story, the father has two sons, and both of the sons are lost, right? And you know they're lost because if you go through the, the, the whole chapter 15, everything in this chapter that Christ is talking about is lost. In the beginning of the chapter, there's a sheep that's lost, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. There's a woman who's lost a coin. She tears her house upside down. And, and both of them, somebody's going out to find what's lost and bringing it back. And, and then the younger son, and he's coming back, and, uh, and, and there's celebration and rejoicing when they're found, Right? But uh, uh, now the, the older brother is not coming in. In fact, the father is going out looking for the older brother, begging him to come in. <clears throat> and so look at why the older son refuses to go in. He says, all these years I have slaved for you and, and never refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Yet you never even gave me a goat. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is that it is possible to follow every one of God's commands and still be completely lost. So in their case, in the case of the older brother, the very thing that is keeping them from seeing their lostness is their good deeds. It's their moral goodness. The older, brother, the older brother doesn't even understand what the father is doing. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even compute to him. He's like, he has no idea why on earth the father would forgive him and, and let alone celebrate over him. All, all this time, he has been with the father, but he doesn't know the father's heart. That's what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees have been with, with God, but they've not known him. 
He's telling them they missed it. They missed the entire point of the law. Now, that's, a fa- that, that's an offensive statement to the Pharisees. You missed the entire point of the law. They thought that their law-keeping bought them favor with God. After all, they weren't like those people, right? So when God rejoices over broken sinners who turn to him, the Pharisees are outraged. Where's their celebration? Where's their goat? They deserve it, right? They slaved for it. This is what really got under the skin of the Pharisees, and it's the main point of the story. You know, the truth is that uh, they are just as lost as the younger son. They just can't see it past their own self-righteousness. So both of these sons wanted the father's stuff, but what they didn't want was relationship with the father. You know, the younger son, it was really clear. He's like, I want all your stuff. I'm going to go and take it and leave. But he's the one that actually comes back and enters into relationship. The older son, uh, he, he, in the same way, wants the father's stuff, but he doesn't want relationship with him, and he refuses to enter in. So this story is not directly a story for prodigals. This is actually a really, really strong warning to good people. And their, their goodness is the very thing that blinds them to their lost condition. So you see their opposition against God. Uh, in fact, it's, you know, it's their goodness that blinds them and, t- and it blinds them from even seeing that they're opposed to God. Uh, but their goodness is also the primary weapon that they're using against God. You know, like that's, that's the thing that the, the, the older son is doing here. You know, if you remember last, last week, Fritz made this really clear point. He said, uh, trying to be like God is not sin. Now, trying to replace God and be God, however, is that, is, that's the essence of sin. That's exactly what the older brother is trying to do. He's trying to be his own savior. And his good works are the main thing that he's holding against God. It's right there. It's right there in the, next, in, in, in the text. It says, uh, all these years I've slaved for you, and I never once refused to do a single thing you told me you owe me. You owe me, and yet you celebrate over that sinner. He doesn't even refer to the younger brother as, as his brother or as your, your son. What he says, he says, that son of yours. You celebrate over that son of yours. <clears throat> his goodness is, it, it not only broke his relationship with his father, his goodness is what broke his relationship with his brother. He wasn't celebrating his brother's return. He wasn't celebrating with his father. Uh, just like the younger brother at the beginning of the story, he wanted the father's stuff, but not relationship with the father or his brother. He was profoundly lost. He was angry at his father, and he was angry at his brother. It was no surprise that the, that the Pharisees would, would react to sinners finding forgiveness with Christ. So Jesus says, Jesus actually says this in Matthew 7. He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do many good works in your name? And he will reply, I never knew you. See, the reason God tells us to meditate on the law and the reason that Jesus points the Pharisees to the greatest command is is so that they would know the Father. And then when they saw their lostness, they would run to him for everything. It was easier, it was actually easier for the younger brother to see his need than it was for the older one. Uh, It's harder for him 
Because he has to see past his moral goodness to see that he's see his actual condition. What Jesus is really saying is the older brother is actually more lost than the younger one. Jesus is actually saying that the older son is not just lost in spite of his goodness, he's lost because of it. How can that be? That doesn't even seem right, does it? Right? Like, but, but he's doing good things. Or does it? You know, you see the older son is angry at the father. He doesn't understand him and he won't go in because he obeyed everything. It's because he obeys everything that he thinks he has a right. Uh, it's because he obeys everything that he thinks he's being treated unfairly. It's because he obeys everything that he feels justified in his anger. He did everything he deserves better. You see, this is, this is important to understand. The person who's lost because of their goodness doesn't enter into relationship with God because in their heart, God is not good enough for them. They don't believe he's good because he doesn't do what they want. They use their goodness to try and get control and leverage over God. I mean, listen to the older brother. You never even gave me a goat. What he's really saying is, you owe me. I've obeyed, now I want what I deserve. He wants the Father's things, but he doesn't want relationship with the Father. He wants to, he essentially wants to be God. So sin, sin is really just trying to do anything outside of the relationship with God. You know, he missed it. He missed the first command. The first command, love the Lord your God. Because of his goodness, because of his good goodness and his good works, he couldn't know the Father. Because of goodness, uh, they they couldn't know the character of God. Because because of their goodness, they couldn't see their complete and complete separation and opposition towards God. Now, what happens is to come to faith in Jesus. Uh, it it doesn't mean that you just repent of your bad works you actually also repent of your good works. You repent of the idea that they have earned you anything or made you deserving in any way. Because your good works, good works done for your personal gain, they aren't really good works. That's not really, that's not really serving God, that's serving ourselves. They're self-serving, self-leading, self-righteousness. You see, no one can really obey without first knowing the grace of God, knowing that you're infinitely undeserving and at the very same time you're infinitely loved. Real obedience is expressing love for God through actions. The only real freedom is, is seeing our lost condition. Right? For the person who tastes the grace of God, his completely unmerited, undeserving, unearned uh, love, God's commands aren't burdensome. They don't feel heavy. They're, they're actually joyful. They're, they're actually, for that person, it's their delight. It's their celebration with the Father. For the older brother, for the Pharisee, the law was enslaving. For the person who thinks that their good works earn them anything before God, uh, following his commands will always be slave labor. They'll obey it on the outside, and they'll hate it on the inside. <laughs> Let me say this more clearly, and maybe, maybe even more boldly. Uh, I, 
if, if you're living a good life, if you're just living a good life, trying hard to do good things so that God will love you and approve of you in the end, you don't yet know him. But when you look into the law and you see who God is, you can only come to one conclusion. I can't do that. I can't live up to it. But thanks be to God that Jesus has done it on my behalf. He has lived up to it. He has lived up to, uh, he has lived the life I should have lived, and, and he died the death I should have died taking my punishment because of his great love for me. So when I understand that, I start to understand the grace of God. Now, I, because of that, I can enter in to celebration and relationship with God. And I can do it wearing Jesus' clothes, wearing his righteousness because he's given them to me. Now, now my obedience is actually real. Everything I do in obedience now, is for, it's out of pure love for God, right? It's, it's, out of relation, it's in relationship for him, with him. It, it gains me nothing because I already have everything. It's my joy to follow him. All that I have is because of him. You see, God's grace changes everything. It changes the way that we view people. It changes the way we view our relationships. It changes the way we view God. It changes everything. This is why Jesus said the law is about the heart. He says that, that what's far more important than the fact that you obey is the reason you obey. It's why you obey. You know, when we actually see him as our Savior, and the law always leads us there. When we actually see him as our Savior, then we will want to know him as our Lord. When we know him as our Lord, we will joyfully obey his commands. We'll delight in knowing and walking with him. We long, we long to go with him to find what's lost. And then we rejoice and celebrate when, when someone who was dead is brought to new life. You see, God's grace changes everything about the way we see other people. The older brother wasn't concerned about the younger one. He was concerned about himself. The person who's seen God's grace, who's tasted God's grace, loves and wants to invite everybody in to knowing that same grace with him. but we can't get this out of order. This is really important. Christ ordered this, right? The first commandment was to love God, and the second was to love your neighbor. Because if we get this out of order, if we set out with the intention of loving others, but we don't know the joy of knowing and loving God, we will ultimately run people over with religion, with guilt, and a false gospel. We will invite them into the same kind of slavery and lostness as us. Self-leadership and self-righteousness both break relationships. They break relationship with God and they break relationships with others. <clears throat> Sin breaks relationships, but it's God's grace that restores them. God's grace restores relationships. That is what Jesus was saying. Love God and tell each other about his love and his grace towards you. 
love God, and see each other differently because of his grace. You know, people always talk about the things they love. If you've ever been around people, you know this. They can't help but do it. They talk about the things they love. They can't help it, and they can't fake it. Nobody fakes that. Uh, Lives changed by the grace of God are unmistakable. You know, they, they, they are not perfect, but they know that they're perfectly loved. God's grace actually cannot be contained within somebody. It always overflows, right? It overflows to our family. It overflows to our family in Christ. It overflows to the people around us. Uh, we, and so in our family in Christ, we lead each other to grow in spiritual maturity, and it overflows to those who are lost, and we invite them to know and walk with God. In, it, it just overflows everywhere. It overflows into our thinking. It, it's, it's what Christ did. He blew up their, their worldview, and he gives us a new one through grace. We invite, it, it overflows to the point where we invite people to know God and to walk with him and trust him as their Lord. So growing in spiritual maturity is actually, it's actually just understanding God's grace and his, under, knowing God and understanding his grace more every day. That's what growing in spiritual maturity looks like. You know, it's, it's meditating on his commands and his character. He, it, that when we do that, it only leads, him, leads us to see our need for him. You know, it's not knowing uh, more things about Scripture. It's not, it's not doing good. It's not about being better. It's not, it's not, it's not about achieving level 10 of Christianity. It's, it's, not, it's not about these things. It's about knowing God and knowing his grace towards me and then being transformed by it. So uh, this last week, I had, a, I had a close friend who explained this to me, and I was really, really grateful for this. So when, when she was asked, what, uh, what is spiritual maturity? What does it look like? She said this. Uh, she, she said, uh, you know, when I came to faith, um, I, I knew there was this gap between me and God, Right? There was this gap, and I knew that there was nothing I could do to fix that, right? There's no, there's no work I could do. There was nothing I could do to fix that brokenness between me and God. So, so when I found out that Jesus had already done that, done that for me, I gave my life to him. And so I understood that. But, but here's what, interest, what was interesting. So was growing in spiritual maturity, what she said was, she's like, and so every day since then, I'm starting to understand more about who God is, and, and I start to see how far I am from that, right? Look, and, so, and, and she doesn't meet that with dismay. She meets that with joy in her heart because she knows that God <laughs> has done something bigger than what she thought, right? Yeah. So every day as we grow in spiritual maturity, we, see, we don't see that we are worse. <laughs> we were already bad. God was already perfect. Right? What we see is how much bigger that is than we knew. So the person who's grown in spiritual maturity understands to a greater degree what God has done for them. When that happens, that changes the way that you, you act around other people. That changes the way that you love other people. That changes the way that you extend forgiveness to other people. It changes the way that you receive it from God. It's the very thing that makes us repent of our good works. Because none of my good works could fix that. 
or that, or that, or that, right? So I was really grateful for her sharing that with me because it explains it so simply and so clearly. First John says it like this, uh, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. Not a self-confidence, but a confidence that I am right before God because of Jesus. I'm right before God because of him. So God created us for relationship with him. And he created us for relationship with one another. You know, really loving your neighbor, actually loving your neighbor, is inviting them to know and experience the grace of God. It's, it's sharing the good news of this gospel with everyone. It's, it's actually walking in joyful obedience together. It's worshiping our creator, our savior, our Lord. It's rejoicing together uh, that we were lost, but now we're found. God is inviting us to know him and to grow in spiritual maturity together. So uh, I'd say this, if you're here today, uh, it's not by accident. Um, God has brought you here for a very specific reason and it's not random. Um, God's inviting you into relationship with him. He's done everything on your behalf to make that possible. There is nothing you can do to earn it, and there's nothing you can add to it. So maybe uh, maybe you're listening to this, maybe you're hearing this, and you're lost. Uh, you, you are uh, messed up and broken, and you see your need for a Savior. I, I would say that's a very good place to be. Um, I would say today is the right day to turn away from a self-directed life and enter into relationship um, with the one who created you for that relationship. You, you can trust Jesus as your forgiver and leader right now. There, there's freedom, there's joy, there's peace in relationship with him. There's actually not going to be found anywhere else. His commands are not burdensome. They are freedom to live by grace. Now, it's also possible that, like the Pharisees, uh, Jesus is blowing up your worldview. Uh, maybe, maybe you've been doing good things and hoping that God will repay you with his favor. Maybe you've been uh, wanting God's things but not wanting relationship with him. In the parable, Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, when the older brother refused to come in, that the father went out to him and begged him to come in. If you find yourself there, look deep into the perfect law of God. Look at his commands and see your lostness. It's, it's okay. It's okay. In fact, it's actually the only way to enter in and celebrate with the father. Because he, he's the one who goes out and finds what's lost. Scripture says, salvation belongs to our God. No one else. So if you're here today and you're living by faith and you're walking by grace in relationship with God, understand that is not uh, an individual thing. That's a team sport. You know, we teach each other the grace of God on a daily basis. Talk about it. 
teach it. Uh, do it together. Uh, when you walk, when you sit, when you get up, when you lay down, when you're eating, when you're with your friends, when you're with your family, when you're with your coworkers, when you're everywhere, just that's who you are. It's, 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 it's who you are because you belong to God. So do that together. Be okay with seeing how great the divide is that Jesus bridged for you. Because when you do that, grace abounds. It overflows. There's no containing it. You will simply have to tell others about it. You'll, it, it will just come out of every, every pore. Every little thing in your life will, will, will bleed the grace of God. You'll go to, and, and here's what you'll do. You'll actually go together with God to find what's lost. And you'll celebrate when somebody finds new life. You'll actually be his witnesses to the world. That's what Jesus said. So relationships are how we grow in spiritual maturity. First, in relationship with God, in relationship with the Father, and then with each other and with the world. We help lead each other uh, to know God and understand his grace together, and together we're transformed by it. That's the real purpose of relationships. That's the reason that we have relationships with one another. So I'd say this, you know, we, we, we ask the same question every week. Um, take some time right now and pray. Ask God, God, what are you saying to me through your word today? How are you inviting me to know you and how you're inviting me to follow you? Let's pray. Uh, Father, I am so grateful that uh, everything that we have is by your hand. I'm so grateful that uh, there is nothing, absolutely nothing we can do to add to it. Uh, there's nothing we've done to earn it. Yet you did it because you loved us. Not because of our goodness, but because of your goodness, your grace. God, would you take your grace and transform our hearts today? Would you invite us into relationship with you? Would you help us to respond to that invitation? God, I pray that you would work in a mighty way in all of our lives right now and that we would, we would choose to enter in to celebration and relationship with you because of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.